0: Iconic makeup artist, beauty industry revolutionary, entrepreneur. Bobby Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story
1: Short with Bobby Brown. Harlan Coben is a New York Times best-selling author. With over 70 million books in print worldwide, he is the author of 30 novels, soon to be 31. Best known for his mystery thriller series following the exploits of sports agent Myron Boiltar, Harlan's stories are no holds barred with twists and turns throughout the book. Harlan is also a television producer adapting some of his books as TV shows around the world. The first time I met Harlan Coben, we were at a fundraiser. I don't even remember exactly where it was. We sat at the same table with our spouses, and we instantly liked each other. And he's just a really great guy. Here's my conversation with Harlan Coben. Well, there's been a bunch of Jersey magazines. Right. Those things are easy to get the big, giant pictures in the cover. Right. And then, you know, Vogue and all of right. those did it. So i probably have the Jersey ones. Like, yeah, yeah. The but those Jersey are the big, nice ones now. 201
0: monthly or yeah. whatever they call I mean,
1: those things. If, I'm not, if you're not on the cover, I'm on the cover. Right. There's only a handful of us New <laughs> Jersey people, right? We
0: kind of rotate through. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hey Harlan, thanks so much for coming.
0: Great to see you again, yeah. Bobby. What's going
1: on? Nothing. I just love your outfit. I well, really thank do. You. Who makes that? Who makes that? <laughs> this suit? is
0: made, made by Moods of Norway, who Moods? went on business. Oh, so I don't know. Maybe I'm not a good. Uh, oh yeah. Do, really, do I don't you copy know, sh- them?
1: It wasn't like the tall man shop.
0: No, because they actually right off the. They're right off the shelf. They were. Uh, you know, I didn't have to do anything, so I, I missed them very much because all of my suits are theirs because they just fit right off the rack, and the, that never happens with a guy my size. How tall are yeah, you? Six four.
1: Six four. Actually, my first boyfriend in high school was six four. Oh, really, but it hurt my neck, so I had to break <laughs> up with him. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. He was so cute. I'm like, I'm sorry, this isn't working. I'm five foot tall. How tall is your wife?
0: Five ten. Oh so,
1: wow! Yeah. And the kids?
0: We have one as tall as six seven, ah. and the other ones are more normalish range. Is
1: right six so. seven a boy or a girl? Boy. Shoo.
0: Yeah. Shoo. <laughs> it's a big boy.
1: Is he high school or college? College. 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 Does he two play in basketball?
0: Yeah, he did in high school, yeah. not anymore. Yeah. yeah. You played basketball, though, right? I did play college basketball. Yeah. yeah, I played in high school and in college.
1: Okay. And That's where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in, I was born in Newark. Okay. I grew up in Livingston, New Jersey, uh-huh. far from where we both now sort of reside.
1: Right. And um, how old were you when you moved to the suburbs?
0: Uh, I've been there my whole life. I've been in New Jersey suburbs my whole life. So. Okay.
1: Oh, so you were born in Austin in hospital? Yes, yeah, so I was
0: born in Newark. And the, but lived a few years okay, in Newark. Gotcha. And so then, you did live in Newark? Yes, yeah. but very, very okay. short time. Yeah. And then Livingston is, I think, eight miles from Newark, right. as a crow flies. Uh-huh. So I've been in that area and in northern New Jersey my whole life.
1: But now you're more north. Yes, right? Far now north, you're more north. Yeah. Oregon County. And uh, did you go to public school?
0: I did. I, it was th- all th- all throughout uh, Livingston Public School system. Both of my brothers weirdly enough, an older and a younger brother, one went to Phillips Academy Andover and then one uh-huh. went to Phillips Academy Exeter, but I huh. stayed at Livingston High School. And what number are you? I'm number 2. I'm right in You're the middle of You're number 2 and yeah, you two and or you three. just
1: were not didn't feel like going away.
0: They were smarter. <laughs> and it didn't fit in quite as well, okay. so I think it all worked out. Okay,
1: yeah. but you're more successful.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: you're probably yes. one of the more successful writers in the universe. But you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. And what kind of what did your parents do? What was your life like?
0: My father worked for a company called Servisco, which did laundry services, but he was an attorney by trade. My mother ran a bunch of things. Uh, Club ABC Tours was a, was probably her her biggest one, which was a travel agency mm-hmm. in the area.
1: Okay, so pretty normal upbringing. Very, yeah. I mean, yeah, on, on right. surface, yeah.
0: and I look back at this all the time because of the kind of books I write, on the surface, it was really normal. You know, I grew up in Livingston, which is a nice suburb with six elementary schools feeding into two middle schools, feeding into a high school, all of that, 600 people in my high school class. But now when I look back on it, and I've written a few books about it, there was actually a lot of weird stuff also going on that I didn't quite see. Um, so it's a little bit of both. There's a Well, like what? Well, first of all, it was a great, I think it um, it was Flaubert who said to be normal and bourgeois in your life so you can be violent and original in your work. (laughs) And I think that helps. But first of all, I don't know if you know this or not, but when I was growing up, we heard rumors about a secret military base in the woods behind Riker Hill Elementary School. Hmm. And that they were Nike uh, nuclear missiles and blah, blah, blah. And as I grew up, I learned that that was actually true.
1: In Livingston? Yeah,
0: in Livingston. Get you can actually here. still go. Well, I grew go, up in Chicago, it. so I, I, yeah. So if you go, but actually, if you go on certain roads, you can actually see it's now been turned to an art park, but the ruins are still there Freaky. of when it was a Nike missile base. And and right next door, adjacent to it, when I was growing up, there was rumors that there was a mafiosa leader who cremated bodies in the backyard. And that was also true. Boyardo House is right there, which they based The Sopranos on. Ah. Supposedly, Boyardo gave them the land for this. So all these stories I heard, you know, we always had these tales when you're kids. But as I grew up, I found that most of them were true in that area.
1: That's so crazy. Yeah, Yeah. no, I don't have anything that interesting in the suburbs of Chicago. No?
0: No, uh uh-uh. How about Montclair? Nothing there? Uh, Montclair,
1: pretty interesting. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) pretty interesting stories. So where'd you go to college?
0: Amherst College in Massachusetts, okay. one and, of the little three.
1: And you played basketball there? I played basketball what you there, major? Sort of my
0: wife, actually. Really? So met. Yeah.
1: You met your wife on? Uh...
0: Yeah, I was a sophomore, she was a freshman. Uh, at, we've been together since, I uh, said, at huh. Amherst College. Yeah, huh. we both you played ever, basketball.
1: Do you ever date anyone of a uh, much lower height?
0: Uh, yes, I did right before her.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. so you knew that your kids were going to be tall.
0: <laughs> we, we figured it was a good chance. Yeah.
1: Oh. Okay. Um, one son's
0: not, so he gets bummed out about it. So uh, if he's listening to it, we don't care. Well, what? what tall family. is
1: he that he's, he's bummed. Like
0: five nine five ten? Five
1: nine five ten. Right. In my family, is yeah. giants.
0: <laughs> when he stands next to his six seven brother, he's not so <laughs> right. Thrilled. Okay. Right. Well,
1: my you know my my kids, I think five eight, yeah. and that's you know that's good. Sorry guys, that your dad married a five foot tall woman. What do you want from this? (laughs) And so and what did you major in?
0: Major in political science, which is a euphemism for I've no idea what I want to do with my life.
1: Okay, but you're you're pretty political. Uh, I mean, I see you at so many political things. I'm not that political, but we seem to see each other at these events. That's
0: because we're like New Jersey that way. So <laughs> they have to invite us. It's like a, a, a rule. But we were both at re, the last Republican governor and this current Democratic governor have both had us at events. Right. So we're playing off. We're playing and, all and
1: sides. And I think I saw you a it's, bunch of yeah, Corzine exactly. things. So, were yeah. you at the Bon Jovi party when Obama came? Yes, I was. Yes, yes. yes. And and I, I, so it's this
0: usual I know, all, New Jersey we, royalty yeah, sort of thing. That's how party. we
1: know each other is all of yeah. these these things. And I think I originally met you, by the way, at something for Glamour Magazine. Because I remember Cindy Levy was there. I don't remember what it was. Do you remember ever going to a Glamour? It was a New York no, City event. No. And I was like floored that you were from New Jersey and I was so excited.
0: It was, so, I think it was some kind of dinner, charity dinner thing uh-huh. at, some, at her house. Okay. Maybe. But I don't remember yeah. now. All either. right.
1: It, it was something. Yeah. but um, And we've been trying to get together ever yes. since. Yeah. So, um, all right. So after school, after you finished college, right. what was your first job?
0: I worked at this club ABC Tours in Union, New Jersey. How'd you get the job? Uh, nepotism, pure ah, and simple. Okay, uh, I don't uh, pretend otherwise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what did you
0: do? Uh, I was—I set up all their trips overseas. That was—I would travel a lot, and I would set up trips. They—they they had trips all over the world, and so I would travel and set up these trips. I would go to hotels. I would meet with airlines and negotiate these sort of contracts. Okay. Yeah. So I really hated it. Uh-huh. I learned from that, and you probably learned this too. But though you actually have a job, that I wasn't meant to really hold a job. I—I'm not. I was, you know, fairly smart and whatever else, but. I'm not good with detail, I'm sloppy, I'm forgetful, I'm disorganized. How could you
1: be that and be and have 30 books?
0: 30. But that's all uh, I can do. That's all, that's the only talent I have. You know, I, I say there's three things that make a writer. The first two are obvious, the third isn't. The first is inspiration, you have to be inspired to tell a story. Second thing is, desp- uh, is, is, is perspiration, that is you have okay. to do the work to tell the story, you have to sit down and actually write. Okay, And the third and most important is desperation, and that is I'm not fit to do anything else, like, like hold a real job.
1: Well, you've done more than yeah. write books, first of all. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, so I just always like to get to the point, well, yeah. how did you just say, okay, I'm just going to write a book, here it is. So- I actually
0: did when I was a senior in college. I had never taken any English classes, but I worked for Club ABC Tours in Spain that summer. I was 18 or 19 or 20 years old those years, and I would work in Spain taking care of tourists who were like our parents' age at that time. And I said, wow, someone's got to write a book about this weird experience, so I did. I sat down, my senior year of college, I tried getting a professor to work with me on it, I couldn't get one because I hadn't been in the English department, but I wrote an entire novel my senior year of college. And the novel novel's terrible, but from that, I got the writing bug and started to write what I loved, which I call the novel of immersion, the book you take on vacation, but you'd rather stay in your hotel room because you have to know how it's all gonna turn out.
1: And your first book was how long ago?
0: Play Dead came out uh, when I was 28, so 1990.
1: And how did you get it published?
0: Um, I got published by a small house that was doing very literary fiction and wanted to move in a more commercial direction. But it was, you know, I got published fairly easily, but it was making the next step to being able to sell any books. That was the big step up. I mean, I got $2,000 advance for that book. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was retiring quickly off, off of the money.
1: Do you remember how many books sold?
0: Oh, I don't think a lot. I mean, uh, I, I know the, the, the hardcover, they probably printed less than three or 4,000. I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't even know the numbers. Um, most of them are in my basement. And still, when I go on book tours, somebody shows up for me to sign a copy. I'm like, I've definitely signed 3,000, 4,000 copies. I've definitely signed the entire print run. So really, the rare editions when it doesn't have my uh-huh. signature on that at this stage of the year.
1: And at that stage of your career, were you going to all the book festivals? Uh, and- a lot of them. Did you get booked on any you know TV shows? No, nothing, at, no, nothing. nothing for so. years,
0: nothing for years and years and years. It wasn't until my um, my tenth or eleventh book that I started to, you know, kind of explode out with a book called Tell No One. But you know, uh, but also you start. I mean, I don't know how it was with you in the makeup industry, but I just like my dream was to have a book published. I just wanted one book published to one day walk past a bookstore and see it, and then it was like, well, two books published would be really cool. Then it was well, could I make a living at it? Then could I hit a bestseller list? Then could I hit the New York Times bestseller list? Then could I be number one? It was this nice slow progression in that way for me where I never really imagined my career would be where it is now.
1: Well, when did you know you – okay, I'm not going to say when do you know that you made it because I I hate that question because there's so many moments. But when did you know that you could possibly make
0: it? I think when, when there was buzz on Tell No One before it came out and then it became a very big French film and things just exploded. It was interesting to kind of watch, you know, you're an overnight success on your 10th book. Mm-hmm. And then it changed everything. Um, and, I, and you could feel it. I mean, it was just uh, that was, I guess, the biggest moment in my career uh, when I said, yeah, this is going to this is going to work out now.
1: And what, what was the difference?
0: I think I think Tell No One had a very catchy premise. First of all, it's a story to quickly do it. A man and a woman, uh, happily married. The woman is murdered. Eight years pass, he can't get over her death. He gets an email, he clicks a hyperlink, he sees a street cam, and his dead wife walks by. She's still alive, or is she? That's how the book opens, right? Even your jaw is dropping. Yeah. Right. And that was a compelling- uh, Michelle,
1: write that down. I'm buying it for my vacation. Tell no one, there yeah. we go. Tell no one.
0: <laughs> okay. So that, um, I think that that premise, and I've been writing before that, I've been writing a sports agent series which I've, I find actually more people probably like those books, but it was hard to get a female reader or someone who didn't like sports to read it. Even though you said it's not about sports right. at all, he just happens to be a sports agent. But that was a catchier idea, I think. I don't, but you never know. Why does anything hit or not hit? That book just happened to hit.
1: And then after that hit, did all the rest hit, or have you had like some that that haven't after that?
0: Uh, they've all hit. Um, I was lucky. One of the things I was very lucky about was I had a pretty good work ethic. So by the time Tell No One hit it big, I had already written the next book, Gone for Good, was done.
1: But that doesn't mean that it was going to be a hit, that it was good. No, but what it
0: means is that not, a lot of writers freeze up. When you have a tremendous success, you freeze up and you start, oh, my God, you start questioning. Writing is really hard. You are always in doubt. You know. You always hate yourself. You always think you stink, even to this day. Really? It doesn't it doesn't go away. The insecurity, I think when you lose the insecurity, that's when you're that's when you're in trouble. So to this day I'll be writing this morning I'm writing, right? And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, this stinks. I hold up runaway. I was so good before. What happened? When did I lose it? And then five minutes later I'll say, Oh my God, this is great. The old book stinks. And you go through this sort of thing all the time. When you finish a book, you think you'll never have another idea again. That's it. I have to now have a real job. I'm never gonna be able to think of something. That insecurity, despite 31 books or whatever, no, never goes away. And when I talk to a lot of other writers, um, the ones who are good and producing a lot, they feel the same.
1: But it's not just being a writer because as you know, my art is really makeup right. and I go do these you know, beautiful makeup jobs and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And it comes out, they're like, oh, it's so pretty. And I'm like, no, I didn't do that and right. I could have done that and I should have done that. I think that's what makes someone successful is always thinking you could do better.
0: There's no question about it. I mean, I I, I try to reread my old books, but... Um, right now, for example, I'm making one into a Netflix show. I've been doing a lot with Netflix TV. Yes, shows they, lately.
1: these guys were beyond excited that you were coming in oh. because they just love <laughs> love the show. Oh, well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Um
0: but but my means is I have to actually read my old books, and I'm like, oh, you know, I see all the seams. I'm like, oh, why did you do that? And okay, but I also think, oh, this is a chance to change that. I yeah. can now I can now do it the correct way or or a different way. So. um even today, I, I try not to reread my old books as you have to look at your old makeup kind mm-hmm. of a thing, because I think part of it is you do see the seams. Part of it is you are extraordinarily critical. Yeah, I have an editor. My editor's never been as hard on me as, my, as I am on myself, and as you probably are on yourself.
1: And how many editors have you have?
0: Um, well, I only have one at a time, but- um, But every
1: project, you have a different editor? No. Well, I had
0: one guy for 10 books, and then he left, but now I'm back with him. I've had over the course of 31 books, five maybe different editors, maybe, which isn't a lot really. And do you it's write different. every day? I try. I think about it every day. Where do you write? Um, that's see, mo- This is where I'm slightly different. Most writers that you'll say talk to will have a little spot in their home and they have a, a setup. My what? My way of working is not to have a way of working. I constantly change it. So I I'll, I'll go to a Starbucks coffee shop, for example, and that'll work. And as soon as that works, I'll stay there until it doesn't work. It's like riding a horse... And the horse dies, and then I look for a new horse. I'll give you a quick example. About three or four books ago, I took an Uber into New York City because I just wanted to – I didn't feel like driving that day. And, of course, I had the whole Jewish guild thing going about spending the money. And in my mind, I'm saying, well, it's $50 to go in. I have to pay $50 to park. Anyway, you know, I'm trying to justify right. it. So I sat in the back and I wrote. And I wrote really well. So for the next three weeks, I took Ubers everywhere I went. <laughs> and I just and I wrote like a mad dog. And then I stopped working, and I had to find something else.
1: Well, I've written 9 books and I don't know how to type and I've written all of them by hand in the back seat of a car. Really? Yeah, because I my, I can't sit and focus. I mean, I think we're very similar. Right. I'm I cannot sit and focus. I can only like be organized for something I'm hyper-organized and hyper-focused on. So I can't just sit and do work, but when I'm moving, airplanes, cars, trains, my best my best work That's comes
0: it. out. I love airplanes too and trains, right. Yeah. If it's, um, the only thing is trains put me to sleep a little bit. Oh. But other than that, the rest of them I agree with you that, if there, and also, frankly, nothing else to do. the the the, inter, the internet's been a horrendous thing. And you know, when I first started writing, there was no internet, and then there was internet, but not in coffee shops. So I would leave the house because then there would be no, you know, you wouldn't have the desire to look up whatever nonsense you were looking right. up, and still look up to this day. So a lot of it is having to turn that noise, that noise off. You know, that 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 kind of paralysis through that paralysis.
1: No, I I, I totally agree. My father is actually, who is a retired lawyer turned children's book author, he wants, he's 82 years old and he wants to just focus and write somewhere. So he went on a cruise all by himself with a nice outfit, nice cruise, and he's going to write. Perfect. And maybe look for a girl at the same time. But yeah. <laughs> so, but he's really single psyched. old
0: men on cruises, <laughs> yeah. man. When and I was in w- travel yeah. business, those guys were uh, rare.
1: And he's handsome. I mean, oh, I 80, see? 82, 83, like super they handsome. They used guy. to actually
0: back when I was working. In travel they would give men like that free trips uh-huh. because they would be like 20 single women going widowed women but not that many men and the deal was the man would have to though stay up and dance with different women every night uh-huh.
1: yeah but the problem is my father actually likes women my age or <laughs> up to a few years older and yeah i mean he's only 20 years older than me but he likes women you know 70 God bless. i'm, I'm not 70 but you know he likes women <laughs> about that so anyways so how do you but when you have a, a block what do you do
0: um, I, I realize that block is, is part of the bit. It's just part of the business. I mean, I, I, torture myself. I torment myself. I keep staring until I get through it. I don't, you know, say, Oh, I'm blocked. I'll go to Macy's today. You know, I'll go to the mall. I'll watch a TV show. If I'm blocked, I will torment myself until I, I stop being blocked. And I'll just sometimes just write anything down. I'll just write, you know, you're an idiot. You're not doing anything today. You're worthless. And then eventually, so yeah, you know, beating up yourself is a, is a big part of writing. And a big part of it is, is sort of doing that. It's, as long as you're also in the game, like as long as I'm working on the book, even if I'm not writing, then I have a chance at a breakthrough. If I'm taking a break and doing something else that's fun, there's almost no chance of a breakthrough.
1: And you've written 30 books. How do you keep fresh and say, oh, I have an idea for another one?
0: Um, it, it, each one is a unique torture. Like as I said, when I finish a book, I really think it's my last one. I mean, now I know those voices of doubts are wrong but they never go away. So it's just starting to think of what's gonna be interesting. I, I try to collide ideas. I'll write three or four ideas down. Uh, for example, I'll give you a quick one on, on the book Runaway, which is the next book that comes out. So I wanted to do something involving a cult. I've always been a little bit fascinated by that. I wanted to do something that involves these new DNA tests we're all taking, like 23 mm-hmm. and Me. So I'm thinking, what can I do with those two ideas, even though they're completely different? And then I was sitting in Central Park, and I was sitting in by Strawberry Fields, and I was watching a, a woman strumming the guitar mangling John Lennon who looked like she was <laughs> strung out in drugs. And I said, what if this was my daughter who i have been looking for for six months? Mm. What if I approached her right now and everything went wrong? And that's how I opened the book. And I took all three of these ideas and figured a way of mashing them all together. I made about three months of work sound like eight minutes. Yeah. But that's like three months of sitting around. And that was one of those eureka moments. I was sitting there. I was watching her play, you know, mangling John Lennon. Right. And it's just like, what would I do if? That's All fiction writing is really asking what if. Mm-hmm. I ask it all the time. Wherever I am going, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm watching, I'm always thinking what if. How can I change that? How can I make that more interesting? How can I use that to, to develop character? And that's really how I do it.
1: I mean, you have this incredible imagination, which you have to have, you know, but do you also have anxiety? Because you look at kind do of why what... not sound like a are Well, no, no, Because you look, you're always looking at what could go wrong, and <laughs> right. that's part of your books. But so I, I do you worry about therapy. your kids? I don't, I, don't. I, less
0: than most people do. Yeah. I think I, get, I think really? a little bit is therapy. Okay. Because I also, I'm also seeing so much that it gets lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. It's almost like our political discourse right now. There's so many different distortions and lies and things like that. You can't keep up. And I'm not saying which party. I'm not. I do get anybody angry. But there's so much information coming at us that oh yeah, I forgot. Like a week ago, there was that horrible. Thing that went on. So for me, my mind is always kind of working out different ideas and stories, and usually some ways also of rescuing somebody. Most of my stories have a fairly optimistic ending, not all of them, um, some don't, but I usually will come up with that also.
1: And uh, speaking of politics, I forgot to ask you, um, you're uh, buddies with Chris Christie.
0: We grew, were both born in Newark, both grew up together in Livingston, played Little League when we were 10 or 11 we were inducted into the Little League Hall of Fame together uh-huh. a few years ago and throughout the first pitch. Not because we were good players, but they found two <laughs> guys who were quasi-famous who played in the same team. Right. His dad was our coach. So I've known Chris since I was 10. And in fact, my, our senior year at Livingston High School, I was president of the student council, and he was president of the senior class. And you would guess which one of us would have ended up making up <laughs> stuff for a living, which uh. could be either one of us. I right.
1: <laughs> and you keep in touch with them? Yeah. You do?
0: Yeah, I, I've spoken to him much lately, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Last time I saw him was in uh, Bruce Springsteen's dressing room. It was very interesting.
0: (laughs) I went to a couple of Springsteen shows with with him. We both, you know, in our day, if you were into Springsteen fan growing up in New Jersey, you know, I, I don't know anybody who really wasn't. In fact, we interviewed my senior year, Chris and I were on a committee to pick the next principal. And they- they brought in three guys for us to quote-unquote interview. I'm sure he didn't really care what we thought, uh-huh. but one guy had been the assistant, ma- assistant principal at Freehold High School when Bruce was there. So the entire interview was like that Chris Farley interviewing Paul <laughs> McCartney, asking them about what it was like to have Springsteen uh-huh. in, his, in his classroom.
1: That's oh, so funny. Yeah. Well, when I first moved to New Jersey, I slept at the Livingston Mall to get tickets to a Bruce Springsteen concert, which I got last row. I got tickets. <laughs> and I had to sleep at the mall.
0: Wow. So I'm sure you've Doing been- a lot of, well, I, I grew up down the street from that Livingston uh, Mall. That's where I grew up. That
1: yeah, but you must long have long. met Bruce and your travels. Yeah,
0: but yeah. not too much later. Right. Not too much, much later. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. And um, talk about now your books are your are TV shows. Yeah. So talk about your TV shows and how that I've done,
0: happened. Uh, I've done three shows that are on Netflix right now. One is actually French called No Second Chance. The other two are, are British. One is called The Five. And the bigger one, I think, that came out in May is called Safe with Michael C. Hall. And that's
1: the one that everyone was talking about. Cool. Well, watch the five, too. You'll like it, Actually, you'll love this comment. One of the comments today was, I wish I was seeing it again for the first time. Oh, that's
0: very nice to hear. I think that's a nice comment. That's nice to hear. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But there are eight to ten episodes. um, And... I want you to watch it in one sitting if mm. if you can. I mean, I think the average is about three days it takes to watch all eight or ten right. episodes. And I want them to be like my books. I don't want you to be able to put them down. Um, they're, they're 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 thrillers with a heart. I hope and you, that you care about these people. And so we had a lot of fun doing those. And I signed a deal with Netflix to do a lot more. M- a lot of them overseas. Um, we're doing going to do one of my books in Spain, for example, Netflix Spain show. Mm. One fr- Netflix France show. Um, another. Netflix British show, and so um, I worked on them all, and, uh, and it's been a great involved, deal of fun. How involved? I it? get really involved. I haven't yet figured out how not to.
1: But even picking the characters, yeah, and
0: picking the actors. I mean, I met with Michael C. Hall, mm-hmm. uh, who's a terrific guy and a terrific actor, um, to about playing that role. When I heard he was somewhat interested, I actually. Was in Paris at the time, and I took a train to England to have just have lunch with them and to talk to him about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm technically speaking, creator and executive producer. Mm. Um, so I do whatever I can. I can. I'm not on set very often, but I'm there for all the table reads and I'm there picking the characters and all everything we can do. I haven't yet learned to let to let go. But what's weird is it. You know, I, my, my publisher was getting nervous about this. The first year I did two TV shows, I think it was 2016. Right, I actually wrote two books that year, rather than just one, to sort of prove to them that one wouldn't interfere with the other. But what happens is, I'm naturally an introvert, a socially adept introvert. You probably are too, by the way, Bobby. I am so not an introvert. So, but you gather, I say, I get no energy from being social. I when I get social. So when I'm out on TV stuff and I'm working hard and I'm talking a lot. I then need to go into my own little quiet room and then write. So rather than them interfering with one another, they both fuel each other. And when I'm too long alone in that room where I've spent most of my life for 30 books, it's now nice after all these years to be able to go out and be social. So they're feeding off one another and increasing my productivity rather than taking away from it.
1: Well, it's yin and yang. I mean, it's it's like having a, a car. You're, you run out of gas. you got to go somewhere, fill it up, and right. then you go out again. But right. I'm pretty – I think I'm a extrovert. I go up to anyone and talk to anyone Absolutely. that I find interesting, you know, especially if I've had a little vodka Kind of It kind of <laughs> helps a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, because what we do – we're very similar. What we do for a living, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. You get experiences that the normal person doesn't. Right. But we're also happily married and live yeah. in the suburbs or right. live – and you know we like that life. You know right. I like to be hanging with my husband, watching your TV shows. You know I, I I have I have to admit you're my friend. I haven't read one book and I'm going to because I can't focus enough to read. I listen a lot. Right. So have Good you audio books? Yeah, well yeah, I haven't. My dear friend is Don Katz and I haven't figured out how to, you know, get him, download my whatever. Right, Audible. Audible. When he first came out with Audible and gave me one of those little round things, I'm like, "What am I supposed to do with this round <laughs> thing?" Do you remember that when it first do, came out? I'm like, I thought it was a beeper yeah. trying to get my messages. But um, so I but now re- you
0: can do it right off your phone. Audible couldn't be easier. And I know Don will come right to your I house know, personally. I know. I to know. I it. It'll kill I've me. Actually when i actually called him about a couple this. times. I'm like, Don, I can't figure out how to do this <laughs> one thing. Like I'm calling the head of the company. That's so funny. And he'll of course, Don will always yeah. answer that. Kind That's of so funny.
1: Yeah. So, um, what but else do I have? It want is a do? fun thing. It is a fun yeah. but, audible, but have you read, have you voiced over I your voiced books? one. <gasps> it, there, Which it's one? really hard. Which it's one? called
0: Promise Me, and uh-huh. I don't necessarily recommend it. Really? Yeah, no. Uh, for, you know, we speak, we are fast talking New Jerseyites. Yes. When you do an audiobook, you speak at about this speed.
1: Oh, that will not work for me.
0: Yeah, it was really hard. <sighs> and they kept saying, Harlan, slow down. Oh wait, that's a southern accent. Then I do you have <sighs> to do different voices. Oh, yeah, and you yeah, also yeah. sit there with a pillow on your stomach. So in case your stomach growls a little bit, it doesn't get <sighs> picked up. See so all you guys are nodding. Oh, they we, all get exactly what pillows, I'm talking about. Yeah. And it well they took, don't eat, so and it's I fine. Took a, it took me like four, Ugh. three or four days to do was like a twelve hour reading. And then we finished it and they go, now we do the abridged version. I'm like, what do you mean now we do the abridged version? You just cut this up. They go, yeah. no, no. We have a whole different script oh my God. for the abridged version. So it was a lot it was like a f- solid week. Now, mostly, have a, my, my favorite guy who does it is Steven Weber. You know, the guy who's mm. on Wings. Yeah. He does a lot of mine. He huh. does them really well because he's got the whole sarcastic right. Jewish thing down. Um, he's my favorite of mine. He's my not readers. Jewish. Oh, Steve Steven Weber? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. But one of the Hackett brothers on Wings okay. is probably best known
1: for oh. And what haven't you done that you still want to do? I mean, have you had a film yet?
0: Oh, we had, well, I had a, a, a really great French film, which is. Um, do you speak French? Not one word. I've had two TV shows and a movie in France, and I am the Jerry Lewis of crime fiction. I sell a ton (laughs) in France, but I have a real mental block with foreign languages. Uh So I'm there all the time. It's really cool. I sell a lot there and I can't speak one but word. But how do
1: you know that they're actually saying the words you wrote? For all I know, they're you have not. I no idea, right? <laughs> I hate this thing. For all, what am I... <laughs> for all I know, That's I so can funny. literally
0: watch a show that I wrote and not understand one word. Huh. The first time I saw the movie Tell No One, which starred um, a guy named Francois Cluzet, Kristen Scott Thomas, who speaks wow. fluent French, was in it also. How cool. And they're like, I'm like, can I have an interpreter whisper in my ear? And the director's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know the story. Ugh. I don't want someone sitting here in the audience like whispering in your ear. Just, and I'm watching I'm like this is really good. I don't know what they're saying, but it, but it's really good. And I think it's still on. I know it's on Amazon. It might still be on Netflix. It was. Uh, it won. It won f- four of their says of uh, their Oscars and was nominated for huh. for nine. So um, that was a great deal of fun. But yeah, I want to. I want to make more and do more. I want to get better at this. I want to have a, the book sell more or movie Do Better, TV show Do Better, not, you know, for financial reasons. It's just what we do. I mean, what else is there to do? I I, I love that. You know, that's what I love to do.
1: Have you done commencement speeches?
0: You know, I was invited to do one in our town, uh, in our state last year, and the message got to me wrong. So I, I said no, but I haven't yet done that. So. I
1: have I, I have said no to my town because there's nothing good going to happen mm. out of me speaking in my town. But yeah. I have done four because I've received four honorary degrees. It is literally the most terrifying yeah. thing I have ever done. Yeah. And I stupidly like Googled like really good speeches and yeah, Jon Stewart's and Obama's. And I'm like, okay, this is torture. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. And my husband came to the last one. He said, wasn't your best. But <laughs> the rabbi from Monmouth <laughs> University called me up and he said, I've heard a lot of speeches, and this was my favorite. So my husband said it sucked, but the rabbi said it was good. So I'm I love that like, you said it sucked. That's <laughs> oh, such... my, my husband tells me the truth.
0: Wow. He does. he. he, he will, I insist yeah. my wife lie to me. Really? Yeah. No, Stephen will always know, tell no. you the truth. I don't want to. Like I, yeah. I, if I handed the book in the middle, or anybody, frankly, yeah. the book in the middle. Their job is to read it and tell me it's brilliant, okay. even if it's not, because they can actually say. You know, you made a typo here where you type the word the twice in a row and I'll go, oh my God, it stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> the whole thing is terrible. I have to throw it away and then I will go into a fit of despair and not Aww. write anything for months. Aww. So their job is to lie to me. Anybody's job who reads it midway through is, is their job is to lie to me. I'll fix it later, unless it's a complete disaster. Just tell me it's brilliant so I keep going. I don't have show you ever, people too often.
1: Have you ever thought about being a professor? Or an adjunct I professor? It, I thought it would be
0: fun to, yeah, I think it'd be fun to, to teach writing at some point. Um, I think I'd, I've learned a, a lot that, that I think would help people produce pages, which is the hardest part. Um, I don't know if anybody out there is writing, but you probably have moments when you just think it sucks. And the thing is we all do. You have to just pull through that. I, I have a saying that I tell people is um, you can't fix – you can always fix bad pages. You can't fix no pages. Mm. <laughs> so if you just write, even if it stinks – you you're getting something down and you're moving along, um, so turning off that voice of doom is, I think, the hardest part of being a writer.
1: And also teaching them how to get it published and how to network and how I mean, a lot of people that are probably talented writers have no idea how to get out of their own way.
0: Yeah, I don't know that either. Quite frankly, oh stop! You well, do it's too. been it's been years since I had yeah. it. you know people say how do you get published? I'm like I don't know anymore. I don't know how people get published for the first time. Now I got published the first time 1990. It's been a long time. My information. Is old. Are you with the same agent? Uh, no, not with the same agent, same editor. But I'm with the same agent since 1997. So okay. that's 21. years. That's a long with, time. Yeah, 21 years with the same agent, yeah. and I was at the same publisher for the last 17 years. I just moved. Runaways, my first book, with my new publisher.
1: And your so. your publicist, by the way, did my first book, Matthew. Oh, did he? Which is so funny to see his name on like an email because he emailed me to say, you know, I'm so glad we can make this happen. It's so nice <laughs> to hear your name again. He was. You know, my very first oh, book here. That's yeah. so funny. See, gotta be nice to everyone. It's just, it's just, it right? is Right, you never know who you're gonna meet again.
0: And publish it, well, all over the yeah. world. You should just be nice anyway. Well, you should be nice you to everyone. You should just be nice yeah. anyway. Just, you know, yeah. theater advice. Don't be right. a dick. Yeah. I mean, just too many. I, I always it's... tell this to writers like, don't be a dick. Don't, yeah. Most of the writers, I'm sorry if that's not allowed on your podcast, that terminology, you know, is, but just too many people, I, I do find that most of the people that we've met, right, that are highly successful, yeah.
1: They're mostly nice. Mostly, right? I'm not saying mostly, all. Mostly, yeah.
0: But the, you know, the ones who at aren't. least they're
1: nice to us. I know people that are nice to us and are not nice to other people.
0: Well, then those are not yeah, people I'm going to. They're be not
1: honest. nice, but yes. Right. But yeah. you try
0: you try to be nice. It's mm. just. You know, especially okay. in today's world. Just
1: so rapid fire, 30 books.
0: 30 books, 31 books. All Thir- 30, right, this is going to be 31 March, and this is right. coming out in, in March. In March. It comes out in March. Should
1: I read this one first or the other one that I, sounded I'd so start interesting? i this one. I think you'll okay. like this one. All right. So this is first, that second. Okay, rapid fire. How many books have you sold?
0: They, I think they tell me around 75 million worldwide.
1: 75 million 43 worldwide.
0: 43 languages.
1: Okay, 43 so languages. I don't know. Exactly. How many times on the New York Times bestsellers list?
0: Uh, I think all thirty have hit it now, and they might not hit the first time when they were reissued. I think all thirty have been on the have made the New York Times bestseller list. And
1: how many number one on Amazon?
0: Um, That I don't know. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. I I think the last ten have been a ten in a row that are number one on the New York Times bestseller list. But I don't know what they hit on Amazon.
1: See, when I had very low numbers, I printed them out and (laughs) I've got them in a book. Yes, I was actually my two teenage (laughs) books were number five, but it was really number one because it was Harry Potter, one, two, three, oh, yeah, four. That's so unfair. that didn't count. That so I consider write. that as a number one. Right.
0: No, uh, it's, uh, it's, they've changed around the years and the numbers. But um, yeah, it's, all good. it's and, all good. And
1: how many how many characters in your books actually are from people you know?
0: A lot. I mean, a, a lot are, but a lot of them are – they're usually mixes. They're, they'll be this part of somebody, that part of somebody. My friends always think the cool guy is them. They never think you know, <laughs> that loser with halitosis. That's me, right? Yeah. They never think that. They always think <laughs> the hero um, is sort of them. And people never see – if they're a bad character, they never see it. The hump, the humpback never sees the hump in his own, his own back. And a lot of them are me. I mean, that sounds weird, but a lot of the heroes, even the female heroes – I've written a number of books with female leads – are me – with some sort of change of wish fulfillment to have my outlooks on life a lot of times. Writers don't like to admit that, but they are. Even the bad guys, too. I mean, my job as a writer is, uh, and and this doesn't really mean you're a good person, but you have to be extraordinarily empathetic. I have to understand even the worst person's motivations, otherwise they become a, a cartoon.
1: Well, where could people that are listening find you? And I'm not talking about your kitchen writing. <laughs> like, where could they find HarlanCoben.com? Oh, uh, Harlan. About
0: you? Com. Well, Harlan Co- My Twitter is Harlan Cobin. My Facebook is Harlan Coben Books. It's not hard, but uh,
1: Instagram. Are you on Instagram?
0: I am Instagram. Yes, I'm honest. I follow you. You follow uh, me, yeah. Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> we follow each other on, on Instagram, I believe. Uh, yes, Harlan. so Harlan Coben. One word. I came up with that idea myself, by the way. That oh, that's calling very good. the HarlanCoben.com for the Harlan Coben.
1: I, I think your parents story. kind of figured that one out. Yes, they actually. Yeah, did. my dad always said, "Yeah, I named the company." All right, great dad.
0: <laughs> so thanks, dad. Uh, thanks, dad. That's a joke he's living on. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's art.
1: got he's got many. Yeah. His <laughs> name is James Brown. By the way, oh, yes, God. James Brown and Bobby Brown. We've taken right, this on so he the does road. This the whole feels good. Feel oh, good yes. The whole oh thing, yes. Right? My All wedding. Spanned. He got up and said, "I feel good." Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love, love, the guy. Um, and one last thing, if <laughs> yeah. you could tell people listening now, yeah. if there's one thing they could do to make a difference in their life, in their writing career, coming from the great Harlan Coben, what would it be?
0: Just do it. I mean, it sounds like so corny, but and it's not just a question of writing. Like if you're if you want to write. Sit down every day and just write a few words. Take a piece of paper, you know that idea that you have. It will form, but it's it's a step by step process. The first word's the hardest. The second word's the second hardest. So even though people start looking at the end, don't look at the end. Just look at the next word. Write then the next word. Then the next word. Then the next word. Don't think, oh my God, I have three hundred pages to go. Just write one word at a time.
1: Do you ever write on a typewriter? Any of these books?
0: Typewriter, no. Okay. I've never written on right. a typewriter. Not even back in the '80s when I was writing, did I use a typewriter? I had an early word processor.
1: I always just think of those like movies where they're writing, writing, and all of a sudden they go ah, and they tear <laughs> it and they throw it across the room. I throw uh, things across okay. the room. It was more expensive. Uh, one of
0: the laptops. Uh, one time, I kind of punched uh, when it when it wasn't working well. But uh, and what does your wife years. do? And my wife is a pediatrician, but right now she's actually. Dean of Admissions at Columbia Med School. Oh. So I can actually sleep my way into medical school. Oh, very nice. Or s- promise not to sleep my way into medical school, more likely. Well, I'm just but, yeah. I'm just
1: glad for her that she's not a stay-at-home uh, wife and mom because I no. would go out of my mind if my husband was working from home.
0: Yeah, no, that, I, it, it's worked out really great. I think more than most couples I know you guys probably were too, we really are 50-50 on, when we were raising the kids. I was home more, so I was able to do all the driving and all the parenting in that way. But she likes to cook and do that thing. So we really, I think... And people say, oh, the man's going to do as much. I think we were as close to 50-50 as we could be. Yeah,
1: probably yeah. the same.
0: Yeah, which is good. I think that's, yeah. that ends up being and, – and it was good. I'm sure you're, you know, your husband had the same kind of thing. When you're the guy's staying home too, you get a lot more breaks. you know. So like if I'm forgetful and I forgot something like to bring my kid lunch and I brought it in, the women in the office thought it was kind of cute. Look uh-huh. at the dad who's incompetent. Uh-huh. If a mother did it, they would give him a dirty look. So you be got advantages by being the, the stay-at-home guy.
1: And when you're sitting in Starbucks writing, like, don't people constantly go up to you to Which is discuss? I do change up a yeah, lot that. I, I mean, you're pretty recognizable it. in the world, but especially in your town. It must I be... do.
0: Oh, I change up. Um, and as soon as a place, I don't actually mind if someone comes up. It's the people who kind of like are, are looking at you like a museum piece and then pretending they're not looking uh, yeah. at you. <laughs> they like, just come over and say hi. Yeah, and it, then we can both go back to our world. Right, yeah. So that's, but I, I move around a lot. And now that the kids are grown, my y- youngest is a senior in, in high school. Um, I can work at home. So I am starting to work a little bit more at home.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks. And that was my conversation with Harlan Coben. I really enjoy talking to him. He is funny. He is smart. He is bright. He is accomplished. And I have to be honest, I have not read any of his books yet, but I am taking his newest book with me on vacation, Runaway. It sounds like a book that I would definitely love. Pick up the book this March 2019. And that's it for this episode of Long Story Short. If you like the show, tell a friend. Also rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, email them to askbobbybrown at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at justbobbybrown. And let me know who you'd like me to interview, anything else you want to see. Thanks for listening.
0: This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery Media Group production.